0: You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed.
1: Allahu Akbar. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan, and the accursed. In the name of Allah, the greatest of the Merciful. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome to the breakfast show. Al-Wajib. Salaam alaikum. Taqabbalallahu wa And Wassalamualaikum. The time is three minutes past seven. Moving on to four, four minutes past seven very soon. Uh, It's Friday, the 22nd of July, 2022. Uh, The Breakfast Show, as uh, listeners who are familiar with this broadcast would know, is an interactive program. It means that our listeners have the opportunity to join in any of the discussions taking place during the course of the broadcast with me, and uh, all you need to do is to pick up the phone. Uh, dial 0208-687-7878 and you'll be put through uh, to share your views and thoughts uh, with uh, the rest of the listeners. Alternatively, you can use the more modern methods of uh, twi- uh, Twitter. and uh, The Twitter handle is UK. Uh, in a few minutes' time, we'll begin with the rundown of the weather. Uh, before going on to examine some of the news stories that are circulating in the wider media, not uh, spending too much on each, trying to basically rattle through as many of them as possible in the first half hour. We'll also be appraising listeners of what is going on uh, in terms of news in the uh, activities of the Muslim community as well. Um, now, those familiar with the show would also know that um, we normally address two main topics uh, during the uh, programme. Uh, where we spend a little more time than the other stories that uh, we consider. And uh, today we're looking at, at in the first instance, uh, something that many would consider to be measurably precious to us, our freedoms, and our freedom of religion in particular. And uh, recently, in fact, earlier this month, on the 5th of July, there was a conference uh, on the topic entitled Conference on freedom of religion or belief. So that is going to be the first subject that we have undertaken to look at uh, in some depth. And uh, it was a conference in which His Holiness, the head of the Muslim community, also spoke at the event. Uh, It was through uh, virtual connection, as did uh, the Prince of Wales and others. Uh, We'll be sharing clips uh, uh, of that, possibly, but certainly appraising uh, members uh, or, or listeners of uh, what was ma- mentioned. And we'll be sharing clips, if we can, of conversations we've uh, had with uh, Mr. Fareed who's the head of the External Affairs Department in the UK of the Abdi Muslim community, and also to uh, Ryan D'Souza. Um, now, we also spoke to Daniel McLaughlin earlier. Uh, this was on an aspect of the... Uh, the topic, freedom of religion. Uh, So we'll be sharing her thoughts on uh, this. Uh, Daniel is a former director of education for Canadian Civil Liberties. So we'll be addressing this subject between 7.30 and 8.15. If you are interested uh, in this uh, topic, then please do make a point of uh, making sure you're uh, tuned in uh, during that period. Uh, as far as the second topic is so concerned, this is going to be in the latter half of the, or latter part of the program, it's about the ease of practicing one's faith at work um, in what is ostensibly a, a secular society in the West. Um, so the topic uh, it reads, how leaders can better support Muslim women at work. And uh, in exploring this subject further we'll be joined by Beverly Sunderland. Uh, Beverly is the Managing Director of Crossland Employment Solicitors uh, and uh, uh, the uh, firm is a top ranked uh, firm. Uh, it's top ranked in uh, Chambers Guide and has elite status in the Legal 500. And uh, in addition to that, we'd also be join- joined by Ashmina Vakaria from Thrive Law. Ashmina serves there as Associate Solicitor and will be giving uh, her expertise on the subject. So lots to do, lots to cover, and as always, we shall have the valuable input from Imam Tawqeed Tanvir, uh, providing the uh, Islamic angle to this all. So now, having mentioned his name, I'll pass all the proceedings to uh, respected Imam Tawqeed Tanvir.
2: sir. Wa as-salam wa rahmatullah. Thank you once again for the lovely introduction. Um, so I'll, I'll start off uh, this particular segment with the weather and the forecast for today Um is that it will be mainly cloudy with heavy showers pushing in uh, from the south bringing a risk of thunder and however um, breaks in the cloud will likely allow for a few brighter showers in place and this evening showers will ease away with some late sunshine likely to develop overnight and it will remain dry with prolonged Clear up so that is just the forecast. Um,
1: so, so no, f- no high temperatures. No, no high temperatures. Four, forty, 40 degrees centigrade. Not <laughs> degrees anymore.
2: Uh, not anymore. But uh, over on the weekend, actually, it's uh, it's going. Uh, it will be fairly cloudy, but uh, it will go up to twenty-five degrees, and huh. on Sunday it will be twenty-seven. So, um, still, bearable, bearable. still, 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 uh, mm. still very good, but uh, not the. Uh, bright sunshine or the heat way we we mm. had just uh, just a week ago. Mm. Um, actually, I, I I was away uh, la- last week Friday. Um, how how was the the show, uh, Brother Willie, the la- last week? Oh, it's not the same.
1: <laughs> it's never the same if you're not here. <laughs> 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 but uh, um, that was difficult to cope with, and then uh, the temperature was very difficult to cope with. Uh, we're not used to it. Um, so those two days, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, we were difficult to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Earlier this week, absolutely. absolutely. Um, so, um, but um, I think we're probably going to uh, have to get used to it with the uh, uh, global warming, the way that uh, that's developing. So it's uh, unfortunate.
2: And have you also been tuning into the UEFa um, Women's <laughs> Championship? Uh, I, I bet you you have been tuning in. That, that's for sure
1: uh no um um but my uh, my children um did watch the uh, mm. England versus Spain game and I I saw snippets of that okay it it proved to be quite exciting because England came back from 1-0 down and then scored uh, to level doing by the end of the match and then uh, scored again uh, in extra time in extra time, yeah so yeah. yes, uh, there was some excitement there
2: and and what's interesting is that England is now in the semi-finals um, and uh, the following teams, you know, today so mm. Sweden will be playing against Belgium today at 8pm and mm-hmm. uh, tomorrow the match will be between France and Netherlands mm-hmm. um, so so far in the semi-finals are England um, and they'll be playing the game um on the twenty sixth of July and Germany will be playing on the twenty seventh of July. So oh. this is again uh for for our British country it's it's a great achievement and mm. uh you know we we hope that uh uh you know England does do very well.
1: Um did Germany uh, win then yesterday they must have. Yeah, so they okay. they won
2: two nil against uh-huh. Austria. Okay and right. and and what's interesting to note is that uh, all of these matches they've the host is the, is the england england country oh, itself so okay. um, all of these uh, matches have been happening all over the country uh, so it will be very interesting to see mm. uh, how england do um, so yeah, that's that's just one uh, particular mm, yeah. uh thing I wanted to mention. But apart from that, uh, with news with regards to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, you, you must have also tuned in, uh, brotherly to the forty fourth annual convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Canada, uh, which was held, uh, just, uh, last week. Um, it was held from the fifteenth to seventeenth of July and the prime minister Justin Trudeau he also paid a visit to the annual convention um so the the, the there's a particular article from alhakam.org uh, um and it reads just a little uh, overview of the annual convention it reads that covid-19 severely limited public gatherings in canada for the past 2 years with restrictions easing the Ahmadi Muslim community held its 44th annual convention from the 15th to 17th of July after a pause of two years. However, certain restrictions were placed on the attendees. Uh, they had to be double vaccinated, could attend only one day of the annual convention, but could choose all the days, and all members were invited to pre-register for the day that they wanted to attend. And nearly 8,000 pre-registration requests were received. So this year, the annual convention um, of the m d Muslim Community in Canada was held at two separate venues, and men they gathered at uh, they gathered in Bradford um, at the place called. Hadika Ahmed, uh, while the ladies, they had attended at the Bethul Islam complex, uh, in in Canada. Um, and in addition, the convention was live streamed on social media too. So Hadika Ahmed is a three hundred fifty acres of land that the community, uh, has purchased in Bradford, just f- under forty kilometres north of the Bethul Islam Mosque in Toronto. And although auxiliary organisation have held their respective uh, annual gatherings, uh, it was the first time the, uh, the annual convention was held there. So multiple marquees were set up and banners were put in the marquees with Quranic verses, sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and quotes of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the founder of the MD Muslim community and his successes. And additional marquis were also set up for food, stalls, the bookstore, registration, security, translation booth, and MTA broadcasting. And multiple portable washrooms along with a separate area for ablution were also set up. And food was cooked at the newly formed uh, kitchen at uh, at the site. And uh, food was served to the men at the site and transportation, transported to Bethul-Islam for the ladies and separate food with fewer spices were also prepared for those who needed it. And lastly at the Bethul-Islam mosque complex apart from parking and security duties the MD Muslim Youth Association um, duties was also performed by the MD Muslim Youth Association and all tasks, other tasks were uh were being done by the ladies there, so that 's just a brief report from al What do
1: you understand about the two separate uh venues? Is it men in one venue and women in another venue yes so uh-huh. so
2: the report says that uh one of the the men they had gathered at the at the site that the community has bought in uh Bradford in canada the uh, and and the ladies they had gathered at the batul islam uh, complex uh, mosque in, in uh-huh. toronto um so this was just uh, that overview and uh-huh. and the
1: and the attendance is 8000
2: so it says that nearly 8000 pre registered requests were received uh-huh. and uh, those attendees who had attended uh They could only attend one of the particular three oh, days, okay. uh, but they could choose which day that they wanted to attend mm-hmm. um and actually uh our listeners would know as well with the that the um annual convention um of the m d m security u k is uh also going to be taking place, and uh this will uh also be taking place in uh, two weeks' time i believe yes. So, uh, I, I, think we, we will also be having our live show from, uh, from the site itself. Mm. So, uh, listener, uh, we, we encourage the listener that do, uh, listen and we'll, will try to do a, uh, Gelsos special for our listeners.
1: Mm. <laughs> yes, quite right. We've done that in the past, haven't we? Yes,
2: yeah, so we, we did that last year. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we actually took a picture towards the end of the show where it was you, myself, and uh Brother Khaled Banusab, we took uh-huh. a picture of us three, and we uh we had actually had tweeted it on uh on my twitter, and Voice uh, of Islam tagged me as well so okay so that that was very very successful if mm-hmm. I do say so myself
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I don't remember that. But but anyway, I'm sure it happened. You've got photographic evidence of it. So.
2: No, I'll, I'll show you the photographic uh, yes. evidence. I actually have <coughs> it on my on my mm. phone.
1: But I'm plagued with old age, so I forget a lot of things these days. So uh, that's probably one of them as well. Uh, is there any other news um, that you have uh, regarding uh, the community?
2: Uh, th- th- I mean, that was the, one of the main news. So the
1: preparations I... of the coming convention are now... Uh, and uh, we're going to have the is there going to be an opening inauguration inspection before that
2: yes yes I actually would like to mention as well there's also another article uh, with regards to the convention which is taking place here in the UK and a question as to who can attend and the the instructions are due to the COVID-19 pandemic um there has been a limitation set by his holiness uh, which was set up by zunud last year at the annual convention for only 6000 uh, uk based guests who were permitted to attend the one day attend one day of the convention and according to his holiness his instructions this limitation was planned for the convention this year as well uh, but uh, by the grace of allah almighty as the conditions for the pandemic have drastically improved his holiness has now permitted all of the uk members to attend this convention on all three days so um all the, the attendees the members of the amdi muslim community they can attend all three days so mm-hmm. that that is one uh, particular difference okay
1: okay good
2: so also um covid-19 precautions and what to bring uh, it also says that the safety of all guests for the Jalsa Salana for the annual convention is paramount and therefore COVID-19 precautions will continue and all attendees must wear face masks on the site and show proof of a negative lateral flow test um, that was recorded within 24 hours before entering the site and proof of two vaccinations will be required your AIMS ID card will always be checked and according to His Holiness's instructions his latest instructions Social distancing during salat has now been set to one foot. So uh, every all the attendees going to this event, they must wear face masks. They should also do an LFT, a lateral flow test, 24 hours uh, before entering the site. They should also have two vaccinations and uh, they should also have their AIMS card with them.
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. and proceedings no doubt will be broadcast uh, on MTA MTA so right so those people who can't attend will be able to benefit from from the events through MTA yes okay. that's right all right um, right as far as other news is concerned I think uh, again there's no guessing as to what's been dominating our TV screens and uh, newspapers <coughs> it's uh, what's been happening in um um, at the top of the government, in uh, top of the Conservative Party in particular, and the resignation of uh, Mr. Johnson, the Prime Minister, from the party, uh, and then uh, the progress of the contest to succeed him, that's basically caught the attention of many. Uh, the Prime Minister uh, said his farewell in the House of Commons on Wednesday, and uh, that's just a couple of days ago, uh, with unashamed, unflinching gusto, hostile vista, baby rode to rapturous uh, applause from his own MPs, well, almost all of them. His predecessor, Theresa May, was conspicuous for not uh, being among those who uh, were applauding from the Conservative benches, and only stood up, uh, unlike the others, near the end, but still not clapping. Uh, none of the opposition party members bothered to do either, either stand up or clap. Some have said that this was a bit mean, um, but others um, have uh, uh, contended that whatever service uh, this particular prime minister was able to render was more than overshadowed by the disrepute, alleged disrepute he brought to the office uh, and uh, and, uh, parliament, uh, proroguing parliament, for example, illegally, uh, the violation of laws that... uh, made, and then allegedly lying about uh, that, um, I'm talking about the laws that were current uh, during the pandemic, uh, violation of them, uh, the refusal to take meaningful action against the S- Secretary of State for bullying, the uh, Secretary of for the ac- accusation of bullying, and then uh, allegedly lying about uh, knowing the sexual indiscretions of an MP who had then uh, we then appointed as Deputy Chief Whip. So all this, uh, when the so-called um, oven-ready Brexit deal appears now to be laced with alleged lies, especially over the border in the RHC, uh, so much so that the government is actually contemplating breaking the law to rectify the situation, um, means that this kind of uh, occurrences do not uh, give reason for any gratitude to somebody who was presiding uh, over the office of Prime Minister when this was was happening. So, enough reason to view his tenure with disdain, at least that's what his uh, detractors would argue. His supporters would not, of course, uh, agree with that. They would uh, point to the fact that the main decisions, the key decisions, big decisions, Uh, were uh, uh, addressed very well and efficiently and effectively. Uh, The delivery of Brexit, the navigation through the COVID crisis, and the stand uh, with Ukraine uh, is cited as an example. I don't know what you think about it, but if you have uh, a view, then please do let us know. Um, Going on from that, there is, of course, the um, resulting leadership uh, uh, race that is going down, that is going taking place. It's uh, now down to just two. We had, I think, eleven candidates to start off with uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago, and uh, it's basically uh, uh, come down to Rishi Sunak and distrust. And uh, although Rishi Sunak uh, consistently secured the most votes among MPs at each round, there were several rounds where that number 11 in, initial numbers were down slowly but uh, effectively. Uh, and in all of those rounds, uh, Rishi Sunak consistently secured most votes. Uh, but it is surprisingly this trust that is thought to be the member's favorite. Uh, because in the round that will now follow, the last and final round, it is not just the MPs who will be voting, it's going to be the uh, entire membership of the Conservative Party. It's too late if you haven't become a member already, you won't be able to vote, even if you do become a member now. But uh, those who are already members of the Conservative Party will be able to participate in this election. And it is felt, according to all the polls, that this trust will. Uh, stomp home Uh, um, now we will uh, be uh, subjected to a number of head to head debates uh, and various uh, hustings around the country before the final uh, voting does take place Uh, the result will be announced on the 5th of September just before the start of the new school term Uh, pros uh, pros and cons have been mentioned of both candidates and it's expected to be quite um, brutal or bruising Uh, Ms. Ms. Truss is known for gaffes and poor grasp of detail at times. But as she is at pains to point out, this is more than outweighed by her sense of loyalty and resolute hard work to get things done. Uh, Mr. Sunak's affluence and uh, the affluent background uh, doesn't allow him to identify easily. That's the accusation made against him. Uh, With the woes of the ordinary person and uh, his wife's non-dom status, uh, to save tax um, is considered to be a, um, a liability. Uh, in his defense, when it comes down to it, he is able to relate to the ordinary people. As shown by his furlough scheme, he reacted. Uh, he would claim very well during the COVID crisis in giving support uh, to, uh, to people, to the ordinary people. And when it comes to his wife's uh, tax affairs, he would say, that they were legally conducted and then he would also argue and he does argue that they cannot be used to besmirch him since it is not she who is standing it's he who is standing uh, we can go on about this and no doubt we will uh, in the coming weeks until then Labour in case Tom Cocker Hoop about the debacle they are witnessing Labour have a handsome lead Manly, it's been increasing since uh, just before the resignation and um, if there is an election now Uh, then they should be able to uh, attain a majority in the House of Commons. So the polls uh, seem to be indicative, at least some of them. So uh, they seem to be in a very good place and are uh, are elated as to how things are developing. But uh, we'll see whether, uh, the if you are a Conservative um, supporter, uh, don't lose hope. Uh, It may well be a turnaround in uh, the next two years or so because the election should not be before then and uh, if the economy can be turned around then there's every hope that um, for those people who are conservative supporters then uh, that they will be uh, they will be rewarded with uh, another conservative uh, government the labor supporters may uh, want a different outcome uh, and uh, that at the moment seems to be very likely right so um, uh, moving on, one uh, things that we were mentioning earlier, uh, when we were talking between ourselves, myself and uh, Imam talking to in fact, we were airing that conversation about uh, soaring temperatures and uh, the fact that we broke a record, uh, 40 degrees centigrade. Uh, this was on Tuesday, uh, and it serves as a timely reminder, uh, including especially to climate change deniers, that global warming warning is is real. And it is uh, becoming increasingly necessary, therefore, to take action before things get worse. Uh, uh, Frederica Otto, a senior lecturer in climate science at the Imperial College, said that without climate change, the likelihood of seeing 40 degrees in London would have been so small that it would have basically been equivalent to statistically impossible. Uh, so, And she added the zero target for 2050. Uh, she added one of the big problems that we still have with climate change is that it's always talked about as if it's something happening in the future to someone else. But uh, the uh, occurrences, and that's what she was saying, was implying that the occurrences of recent days, uh, and it's not just uh, the... The hot weather that we've experienced in recent days, it's also other events. I mean, we had fires in other places, uh, like in Brazil. We had uh, fires in California. We had floods in uh, parts of Germany. These kinds of uh, climate change uh, signs are are clear indications that uh, we are and we have to take stock of uh, how we are going about using the environment and trying to um, um, to to change things uh, Anna vonsinki, um a researcher on adaptation to climate change, uh, she's uh, based at the London International Institute for Environment and Development. She described recent events uh, as having really brought the message home. She says, these few days have actually allowed people to see, you know, their grand suffering in the heat. The NHS is actually buckling under the strain of heat. And by shifting away from the abstract destructions of net carbon emissions towards uh, local impacts to the human face, uh, she added, the heat wave could make a difference to public perceptions of how much countries like Britain stand to lose from a changing climate and how quickly that might occur. And much of uh, climate change is attributed, as indicated earlier in uh, what we were talking about, uh, is attributed to global warming. Uh, This is the continued production of greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide. And uh, the problem is only going to get worse. And despite conferences and summits uh, focusing attention on the issue, progress is painfully sore in stemming the deterioration of the planet. Pledges made are not kept. And narrow nationalistic interests are given given preference to uh, global benefit. And we need to be more responsible with use of the planet. It is the only one we have, and we ought to think more selflessly that when using its resources. Consider the interests of others today and in the future rather than just ourselves in the present. Islam reminds us the uh, global resources are allowed to us as a trust from the throne of the world. Uh, Allah and uh, need to be utilised responsibly with humility and gratitude and we are also told in the Quran that if you are grateful God says that he will certainly give more but if you are ungrateful surely his punishment is severe and gratitude is served when we are talking about using the planet by sensibly and responsibly using the bounties inherent in our environment Uh, and if we do that we will be able to enjoy more bounties from on high, misusing the environment as we appear to be doing is simply going to yield a punishment in the form uh, that uh, we are already experiencing and there is uh, likely to be worse to come. Now, I think I've gone a couple of minutes over the scheduled time for this particular part of the program, so uh, let's press on and look at uh, the first of our main topics of uh, this morning. It's... uh, about a conference on uh, freedom of religion and belief and this, as I mentioned before, was a conference that was held on the 5th uh, and 6th of July in central London at the Queen Elizabeth the 2nd, I think, uh, uh, conference venue. Uh, It was um, uh, an event to promote uh, freedom of religion or belief in one of the UK's long-standing human rights priorities. The UK Government remains deeply concerned about the severity and scale of violations and abuses of uh, freedom of religion uh, or belief in many parts of the world. Persecuting people or discriminating against them because of their religion or belief is often closely linked um, to other foreign development uh, policy uh, challenges. To strengthen international efforts to ensure freedom of religion or belief, the UK government hosted Uh, This particular conference, Ministerial Conference in central London, Uh, the 2022 conference was another important step forward in ensuring that everyone is able to enjoy the right of freedom of religion or belief. As well as discussing challenges, the uh, conference aimed to identify what is working in different countries, explore where and how we can apply new lessons and approaches, inspire the next generation to champion and defend freedom of religion or belief across the world, the conference brought together members of the International Religious Freedom of, of Belief Alliance uh, IFRBH for short), uh, and uh, the alliance, uh, this political alliance, brings together like-minded countries to agree coordinated actions to promote um, freedom of religion uh, or belief and protect people worldwide who are persecuted or discriminated against on account of their religion or belief members commit to advance article 18 of the Universal declaration of human rights which states that everyone has a right to freedom of thought, conscience and religion. And uh, this particular uh, alliance was founded in 2020 uh, and grown from 27 to 36 member countries. Uh, We do have a clip. Do we want to do that now, uh, Imam Taqib or? uh?
2: Yes, so we we have a clip of Daniel MacLaurin and uh, just a brief introduction of her she's happily uh, she retired in 2016 and uh, a, a, a brief information about us to um about her role is that uh she's retired in 2016 after nearly 30 years as a director of education of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association and Education Trust And in this position, she also designed and delivered civil liberties and critical thinking programs for learners in grade school, high school, and the faculties of education. So, we did get a chance to interview her. um, So, we just wanted to share with our listeners. So, let's listen in.
1: We are pleased to note that we have Danielle McLaughlin on the line with us. Uh, Danielle is uh, Director of Education for the Canadian Civil Liberties Association at Canadian. civil liberties education. Uh, Danielle, thank you very much for coming on to speak to us. Tell me, uh, we're talking about freedom of religion, what is freedom of religion and expression and why is it so important and where should the line be drawn or should a line be drawn to limit certain forms of
3: expression? Wow, those are very big questions. Firstly, I am the former director. I retired in, in 2016, but I still have a hand in the uh, the is very, very much here in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. Freedom of religion and freedom of expression in Canada are both guaranteed by our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Um, free, they, freedom of religion is often misunderstood. Um, it, it's usually, people think about it as being y- your right to uh, attend whatever uh, house of worship you choose to attend or not to attend one if that's your preference, um, but it also involves how governments see religion and how they define religion and whether there will be limitations to certain religious practices that are put upon us, and sometimes we we forget that. As an example, schools are uh, a part of government. Uh, public schools, I'm speaking of. So you know, if you find that a school does not provide a worship space, if your uh, faith requires you to pray during a school day one person would say, well, that's normal, it's a public school, it doesn't have to to do this, and another might say, well, that's a limitation on freedom of religion because it's not giving people an opportunity to practice their faith the way in which their faith should be practiced. So, you know, it will be a dispute, uh, and it always is, on, you know, what we mean by freedoms of every sort. Um, with freedom of expression, uh, which is actually critical to all democracies because, as I like to say, freedom freedom of expression is your right to complain. Um, You know, if any of your other freedoms, for example, freedom of religion, is being curtailed by a government or an authority. If you had no freedom of expression, there wouldn't be anything you could do about it. So we know that uh, historically in democracies, freedom of expression has protected the right to vote. Um, It has protected certainly freedom of religion and also in many countries freedom from religion because there are countries that would like to uh, impose a particular religious faith on their population and in a democratic society society a government is not permitted to do that. Um, they they can say, you know, this, this is the religion um, that was uh, practiced by the founders, but if you separate church and state, as they do in the United States, for example, they can't tell you that that is the faith you must practice if you are to be a citizen of that country. So, you know, every one of our rights and freedoms will be subject to certain kinds of limitations. And we call those limits laws. Um, you know, every law uh, will limit a right or a freedom in one way or another. And it's, you know, we don't always think of that. But for example, um, traffic regulations are a limit to your right to drive as fast as you possibly can down the middle of the road. Um, you don't, you can understand very quickly that that limit makes an awful lot of sense because, you know, we like people to survive going outside their homes. Um, But it is a limit of a, uh, you know, of, of uh, liberty and of mobility. We need to look clearly at freedom of expression to decide how, if at all, we want to limit it. Now, Almost everybody I've ever spoken with has a line they would like to draw on freedom of expression that, you know, at a certain point, many people say, well, okay, that goes beyond uh, the line that that I think is acceptable in, in society. But the trouble is, we're going to disagree on where that line ought to be drawn, and different societies and different groups have different views on where, if at all, a line should be drawn. In Canada, the, we have a Charter of Rights and Freedoms It's part of our constitution. And it has a, uh, a unique feature, which is called Section 1. Uh, it's it's the, you know, right after the, uh, the, the, the preface to, to the uh, Charter of Rights and Freedoms. It tells you in Section 1 that every one of the rights and freedoms that are about to be listed will be subject to reasonable limits as demonstrably justifiable in a free and democratic society. And then you have to ask yourself, well, what does reasonable mean? Hmm. And here's where we get into the exciting uh, information and the exciting arguments, because, you know, every one of us has a different idea about what is reasonable and what isn't. The three questions that I, when I'm teaching students um, about how to figure out whether something is reasonable or not, are very simple questions. The first question you need to ask when we talk about a limit, and if we think about freedom of religion or freedom of expression, why would you want to limit them? You know, you have to have a purpose. Nothing can be reasonable unless it has a reason. So the first question is, what is the purpose of your limit? And you'll see that very frequently people will say safety, you know, that, that's, that's the thing that, that people love to, because, you know, you, you, you rarely see people outside picketing safety. They, they don't say down with safety or safety is bad for children. Nobody, nobody says that sort of thing. Um, but safe, safety is very broad. Um, and what one person may call safety, another person may call discomfort. So if somebody were to, um, call another person uh, a racist name the the person who is the target of that racism may feel unsafe but we want to ask them what do you mean by unsafe are you physically in danger if you're physically in danger we may have a different way of looking at it than you're simply feeling insulted because virtually Every expression is going to insult somebody, including, you know, somebody in uh, Great Britain today or in the UK today saying, lovely weather, isn't it? And somebody else saying, this is far too hot for human beings. You know, how dare you say it's lovely weather? So you, you, you can see that, that we will dispute, um, you know, what, what kind of expression is acceptable. Um, I think that most people would s- draw the line at imminent peril. If I were to say, I don't like that group of people, I, I, you know, I don't want them in my community. That's insulting. That's, um, you know, bad manners. It's really, it's an awful thing to say. If I say it's Thursday, Uh, join me at noon, bring your baseball bat. We're going after that group of people. That's clear at, at an imminent peril. So Whereas some people would say, you know, you have to put up with a certain degree of insult in a lifetime. Very few people would say that you have to put up with threatening uh, language that that could actually imperil your, your safety, your physical safety or, or your life. So, you know, that the first question is, is why? Why, you know, why do we want to limit it? The second question is, will it work?
1: Are you saying safety is the only reason then? Are there other reasons? No,
3: I'm saying safety is the is the most common reason that, that, that is given. There are many, many reasons. For for example, um, you know, a, a budget, a government budget, will curtail the way in which money is spent. They don't use safety as a rationale, but they'll say, you know, we need to ensure that uh, the economy is sound um, or, or something like that. So, you know, they, if, if you look at uh, curtailing uh, religion, um, if somebody says, well, you know, I have a religion that practices human sacrifice um, and I think I should have the right to my religion. Um, and somebody else says, well, you know, you, you can believe whatever it is you choose to believe, but the part where you kill other people, you don't get to do that. Um, we have a law against murder and therefore we are going to curtail your, um, your religious freedom Arguably, on the grounds of, of, of safety or protection, but there are many, many reasons. When point, people try, point,
1: yes, sorry, on that point, does that Go mean ahead. that we cannot, can never have pure secularism, where uh, state and religion are completely separate? because those kind well, of religions a- would be where uh, the state would encroach upon the right of a religion to practice what would be uh, abominable practices.
3: That's a really interesting way of of thinking about it. Um, You know, uh, in one of the Canadian provinces in Quebec, they Mm. claim to be um, secular, uh, that it is a purely secular province. They have um, forbidden public servants from wearing visible signs of their religious faith. This Particularly affects uh, women who wear hijab, um, uh, Sikh men who wear uh, turbans, um, and uh, Jewish uh, men who wear uh, kippah. Um, So, you know, but they say this is in the aim of secularity, and others say this is an unreasonable. Uh, limit on freedom of religion, that if, in order to be secular, you have to be uh, agnostic on religion. You you have to say, I'm not going there, however you practice your religion, except where you endanger life, my <laughs> example of the religion that, that would, you know, practice human sacrifice. And um, so there has been a hue and cry in, in Canada saying Quebec is violating human rights when they refuse to allow public servants to practice their faith in, in the way in which their faith is to be practiced according to the faith. Um, so, you know, does that make them secular or, or does that make them um, actually more religious uh, you know because they are focusing actually they're focusing their attention on the actual practice of a religion and making a determination for somebody uh, as to how their re- religion should be practiced in that particular province you can look at it both ways I guess um, yes. in my personal opinion I, I, yes. I think it's abhorrent um, mm. that that a government should should regulate what the, in what people can wear um, or how people appear in public, I think that's pretty awful.
1: How, how is this being addressed in, in in Quebec, for instance? I mean, with Bill 21, where uh, there has been a ban yes. on real symbols in certain workplaces, schools, and employment. I mean, how is that? How uh, is how is that a problem, and how is it being addressed?
3: Well, it's certainly a problem, um, especially for people who are, you know, in the public service. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to court. Um, where, I, I suspect that it will reach the Supreme Court of Canada, and it's Ooh. being looked at as a, uh, you know, as a constitutional violation, a violation of freedom of religion. Um, you know, Quebec is a unique province. Uh, it, it. it protects its unique um, francophone and cultural um, uh, characteristics, and they say that that is their right, there is something in our Constitution called the Notwithstanding Clause, which has it, it, it's kind of complicated because in you know in the view of, of those who in 1982 brought the uh, the Constitution home uh, from from Great Britain the only way that they got the agreement was by adding this this clause which which said that if a province decides that it wants to do something um, that is, unconstitutional, it can use this clause that says, notwithstanding the Constitution, we're going to do this our way, basically. And, you know, that that then has to be reviewed after a period of time. It hasn't been used a lot except by Quebec. So, yeah, Um, some of us aren't too thrilled with it.
1: No. I'd love to talk to you longer, but our time seems to be up. So I just want to thank you for coming on. And I wish you all the best in the future. Now that you are retired, now is that what you were saying earlier?
3: Yes, that's right. I'm retired from from that position. I I do other things, but uh, <laughs> I. I-
1: Right, so that was uh, Daniela McLaughlin, uh, and uh, we also have a report uh, from MTA, uh, it was aired there, uh, regarding the Freedom of Religion or Belief conference uh, that was held in London. We were mentioning that earlier uh, in the program. So this is uh, what the report had to say.
0: Freedom of religion or belief, a basic human right enshrined in Article 18 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is subscribed to by many countries in the world. However, despite this, the world is witness to the persecution of religious communities and to the denial of their freedom of religion. Ahmadi Muslims were declared as non-Muslim for the purposes of law and constitution in an amendment to the Pakistan constitution in 1974 and have since been subjected to state-sanctioned persecution. Ahmadi Muslims have always championed the cause of religious freedom with campaigns for peace and hosting events such as the annual peace conference to speak up for the human rights of all peoples, religions, and faiths. On the 5th and 6th of July, 2022, the UK government's Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office hosted an international ministerial conference on the freedom of religion or belief at the Queen Elizabeth II Centre in London. The event brought members of government, parliament, civil society, and faith groups from across the globe, converging to promote global action on freedom of religion and defend the rights of those persecuted as a result of their beliefs. More than 700 delegates from 100 countries attended the conference making it the largest UK government conference of 2022. As part of the opening plenary session, special dignitaries relayed messages of support for the conference. Special dignitaries included His Royal Highness Prince Charles, the UK Prime Minister, Mr. Boris Johnson, the Most Reverend Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Chief Rabbi Ephraim Mervis, and His Holiness, Hazrat Mizr Masud Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. His Holiness relayed a special video message Reflecting on the aims of the conference, reiterating the importance of freedom of religion and highlighting how such rights are guaranteed in Islam.
1: Freedom of religion and belief are core human rights that must be preserved and protected for everyone and everywhere. Though we are living in an increasingly secularized world in which people are moving away from religion, many millions of people around the world continue to adhere to religious values, and it is essential that they are able to live their lives according to their
0: beliefs and convictions. Lord Tariq Ahmed, the Minister for Human Rights at the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office for the UK government and host of the conference, addressed the guests in the opening plenary session. There's many a familiar face, I see. A face, a commitment, a real inspiration across the board to so many across the world as we join together this morning in our collective vision and our need and call for strengthening freedom of religion or belief for all. The two-day conference hosted numerous sessions and fringe panels with a focus on aspects of freedom of religion violations. One such fringe event hosted in parliament at Portcullis House featured a special screening of a new documentary. Chaired by Lord Alton, the film entitled Section 298 relates the unique and relentless persecution faced by members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Pakistan from the cradle to the grave.
2: The event here in Parliament tonight, looking at the suffering of the Ahmadi community from literally the cradle to the grave, has been deeply moving and powerful. This extraordinary film that was made in Pakistan shows the depth of the suffering and the persecution
0: the community also hosted an event on prisoners of conscience, co-chaired by the respected Ami Jamad UK, Rafiq Hayat Sahib, and the Right Honourable Jeremy Hunt MP, the former UK Foreign Secretary, Archbishop Angelos, the head of the UK Coptic Church, and Mr Rashad Hussein, the US ambassador at large for religious freedom. Mr Fadil Ahmed, the National Secretary for External Affairs for the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community UK, was also invited to speak on a panel on tackling discrimination and on digital persecution. A further side event was also organized by the International Human Rights Committee to discuss persecution in Pakistan. Throughout the conference, a dedicated exhibition on the persecution of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community was set up within the center, giving guests the opportunity to meet with members of the community.
2: Um, I'm very pleased that the British government has organized this uh, conference for the freedom of faith. Uh, I think. Uh, we learned today that over 100 countries are represented at this conference at the highest level. We have ministers from most of these countries. And most importantly, Hazurian Anwar Ayyad Talab video message was received extremely well by the conference. I spoke to a number of people after the uh, messages were delivered and they said that they felt that the, he represented Islam in the most positive manner in his address. And I think that will be one of the key takeaways from this conference, uh, where
0: Amadi have been fully represented. This provided an insight into the real life uh, and the difficulties faced by members of the MLB Muslim community in Pakistan. And for some, this was an eye-opener that they've heard about persecution, they've read about persecution, they've even spoken about it, but to understand what it means on a day-to-day life was an eye-opener for them. And I think when you convey a message in that way, in the way this film has done, the hope is that it would move them to work on this issue from the heart, because at the end of the day, this is about freedom of religion, not just for Amethys, but for all communities. This report is brought to you from MTA International. UK Studios in London.
1: Right, um, we shall be having uh, the, <coughs> the Islamic angle to all this um, later on after the uh, 8 o'clock news. Uh, but just to carry on on what was being mentioned in that uh, particular report, uh, the address of uh, his Holiness. His Holiness also said uh, that uh, Allah the Almighty has enshrined freedom of belief and freedom of conscience to such an extent that the Holy Quran states that permission to use force is only permitted in response to those who seek to eliminate religion from the world. In fact, the Holy Quran categorically states that if one does not respond forcefully to those who seek to destroy religion, then no church, synagogue, temple, mosque, or any other place of worship where the name of God is recited will remain safe. Hence, the Holy Quran has made it the religious duty of Muslims to protect the rights of people of all faiths and made freedom of belief a cornerstone of our religion. And his ownness also then went on to say that as a religious person it is my heartfelt belief that true freedom uh, and lasting peace, uh, peace in the world is not possible until mankind comes to recognize his creator, fulfills his rights, and acts upon His commandments. Whether religiously inclined or not, we must recognize that there is one God who is the Creator and in whose hand lies all of creation. And so it is our duty to fulfill His rights and that of all humanity. And uh, concluding, uh, His ownness said that may Allah the Almighty enable for true religious freedom and harmony to prevail and for all communities and peoples across the world to live their lives freely according to their beliefs. So that uh, is a bit more of uh, what was being said by his Honour during that uh, important conference held earlier this month. Um, we shall be uh, continuing with this particular topic after the 8 o'clock news with more on the religious aspect, the Islamic aspect um, of this particular topic, um, and uh, we, if we do get a chance, we'll also be listening to one or two clips uh, if uh, they are forthcoming. Um, and then um, immediately after concluding that particular topic, we will be looking at the second of our main topics, which is about how leaders can better support Muslim women at work. Not too different, but a different. Uh, certainly a different angle to what we uh, are discussing in the first topic about freedom and the uh, liberty to express. Um, uh, your your faith in uh, what is a secular society. So we'll go for a short break. After that, there is going to be the 8 o'clock news, and after that, we'll be coming back uh, with uh, the program once again. So don't go away. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the Breakfast of the voice of Islam with uh, Imam Tukir And the time is just gone two months past eight. It is Friday, the 22nd of July, 2022. We were discussing the Topic of conference on freedom of religion or belief uh, before the break, and uh, I did mention that we were going to be uh, looking at uh, the Islamic uh, angle to all this in more detail uh, with Imam Taqeed. And we are over to you, sir.
2: Now, there's a very interesting article on uh, review of religions, and the title of it is The Champions of Religious Freedom. You might not think of And I I wanted to share this piece with our listeners. It's from uh, Summer, Sarmad Navid, uh, who is a missionary from Canada. He's written this and, uh, it's, it's very interesting. So I'd like to share this with our listeners. And he writes that during the American war for independence, Thomas Jefferson, he penned a bill called the Act of Establishing Religious Freedom. And he said that those who impose their religion and cohere people to accept it maintain false religions and that the truth is strong enough to prevail on its own and counter falsehood. And over 10 centuries before Jefferson drafted this bill, one of the greatest movements for the establishment of religious freedom was started by Islam and this may be surprising to some at as it is a historical fact that in the early days of islam various battles were fought by the muslims against non-muslims and this has led to the notion that islam um, is meant to be spread by force and imposed upon others what is the but what is the actual purpose of these battles was granted to people Uh, religious freedom that is the question and you see that arabia was quite an oppressive place freedoms were few and far between especially the freedom of religion and that's why muslims were so heavily and fatally persecuted it is narrated that um, when the the holy prophet peace be upon him when he had when he had brought forth the message of islam before the people you know he was faced by severe prosecution, so much so that the Meccans themselves, they had boycotted the Muslims at that time, and they had boycotted the Muslims for two years. Um, and this persecution only continued so much so that uh, after thirteen years of persecution, you know the the Muslims were forced to migrate, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, the founder of Islam himself was forced to migrate to Medina and even before that Muslims themselves they tried to migrate to other places not just Medina it is narrated that uh, many Muslims before had migrated to e- Ethiopia out of this persecution and the Holy Quran itself uh, if we read the Holy Quran as mentioned in chapter 22 verse 41 God Almighty says um, That if Allah did not repel some men by means of others They would surely have destroyed cloisters, churches and synagogues and mosques Wherein the name of Allah is oft commemorated So this verse which is revealed It beautifully explains that if Muslims themselves They did not defend themselves at that moment of time Then not only were the mosques under threat But also the cloisters, the churches, the synagogues were under threat. And notice how in this particular verse of the Holy Quran, the word mosques are mentioned at last. And before that, cloisters, churches and synagogues are mentioned beforehand. So here, this verse explains that Muslims themselves, um, it was such a crucial moment that it was very important for Muslims to defend themselves at that time as uh, the, 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 as the Meccans the, themselves, they did not wish to only, uh, annihilate or destroy Islam, but rather their, their mission was that, uh, all other faiths were also under threat. Hence, the Muslims themselves, uh, they took that, Uh, They took that oath and they were on a mission and true Muslims have been ever since there to establish religious freedom for all. And if the primary purpose had been to convert people, everyone to Islam, then why would God say that if they incline towards peace, incline thou also towards it as it is mentioned in chapter 8 verse 62. And thus, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he enacted the noble mission of establishing religious freedom and became its foremost champion, setting examples such as allowing Christians to pray in his mosques. Um, and this is this is also a very famous narration um, that uh, the, the the Christians of Najran they had came to visit the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and. In this conversation, they became very agitated and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, inquired as to what was the matter. And those Christians, they replied that it was their time for prayer. And very graciously, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he gave his own mosque that you should go there and you should pray within this mosque. And we see that from the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, when he lived in Medina, he had an alliance with the Jews and people of other faiths at that time, and he had united everyone together. And from his example, we see how much he cared for religious freedom and how much he encouraged it. Rather, another account, if we see the battles which had taken place, um, if we, if you look at the Muslim army, they themselves, um, if you look at the Battle of the Ditch, uh, the numbers of the Muslims, Themselves were about thirteen hundred, fourteen hundred, and however, if we look at the Treaty of Hudhabia, the Treaty of Hudhabia was that Muslims uh, and and the the Meccans at that time there would be an alliance between them, and there would be no there there would be no wars, and there would be peace, and it is narrated that within those two years, so Muslims, they you know there were no battles at that time, so Muslims, they themselves, their efforts were solely focused towards propagating Islam and it was this time when uh, the message of Islam was then sent to various leaders various na- leaders of, var- of nations and that is when Islam had spread and that is why we see that in, in the conquest of Mecca the Muslim army had risen to 10,000 within a span of a couple of years Whereas if you look at the first battle within Islam, the Battle of Badr towards the Battle of the Ditch, we see that Muslim army was 313, the first battle. And then towards the Battle of the Ditch, the Muslim army was was only 1300. And that is also a couple of years apart. But whereas if you look at the conquest of Mecca, which is only a few years after, we see that the Muslim army had jumped towards 10,000. And the reason for that is because uh, there was, a, at the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, the settlement was that uh, there would be peace in the land. And this was, it was at this time where the Muslims had propagated their faith. And even those uh, Muslims who had not openly declared that they are Muslims, they had come out and they had accepted Islam. And that is why we see that there was a huge jump um, of Muslims who had accepted Islam at that time. And let us take the example of the second caliph of Islam, Hazrat Umar, peace be upon him. The Muslims conquered many lands during this time, and including that of Jerusalem. And while forming a treaty with them, Hazrat Umar, peace be upon him, he assured them that the lives and property of the citizens of Jerusalem were safe, and that their churches and religious places would also remain pre- protected. In fact, Hazrat Umar was invited to offer his prayers in the church but he opted instead to offer his prayers outside. He feared that if he had offered his prayers in the church the Muslims may deem it as their own holy place and eventually take it over. So now you know that Islam champions freedom of religion. It always has. Like Thomas Jefferson said the truth is enough for a religion to spread for a religion uh, which God himself has perfected Muslims need not use even an iota of force or cohesion and although there is no longer a need of physical battles today but in light of Islamic teaching true Muslims such as those of the Amdiya Muslim community are championing efforts all over the world to ensure that the preservation and promotion of religious freedom. So that was just a little piece that I had read from uh, this article, from Review of Religion. Also, we see that as far as Islam is concerned, the overarching principle is that there is no compulsion in religion, as it is mentioned in the Holy Quran. And the Holy Quran declares faith to be a matter of heart, and that it is up to every individual to choose their belief as they see fit and it is a god given right to accept or reject the beliefs of any religion and one is answerable to god alone for that choice the holy quran it says in one of the verses of the holy quran that lakum dinukum that let him who believe who will believe and who will and and let him who will disbelieve thus no individual group or people indeed or indeed government has the right to prosecute, cohege, punish or legislate against anyone for his or her choice of belief. A direct statement of policy about freedom of conscience presented by the Quran categorically states, For you, your religion, and for me, mine. And in fact, uh, that, that reminds me of a another verse of the Holy Quran that uh it, you know as, as mentioned here, that for you your religion for and for me, for my religion we 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 see that from this uh Islam very categorically it says that there is no sort of compulsion when it comes to religion, and um someone who is of another faith you know they they have the complete right to abide by their own teachings, and in fact, if you look at the Amdi Muslim community, you know there there are various uh there are various peace symposium which are taking place where people of different religious faith leaders they they gather their different mp's all of them collectively uh we ho- th- there there are different um seminars which take place and this whole aspect of freedom of religion is highlighted so in a nutshell um you know we'll, we'll conclude this particular islamic perspective and come to the conclusion that islam itself it teaches uh, freedom of religion and you know as as a muslim you have the right to to choose your religion and and also respect other religion as well so with that we'll we'll conclude this
1: thank you very much uh, very well said very well explained thank you very much for that uh, really very inspiring to listen to thank you very much uh We now need to leave that particular subject and uh, go on to the second main subject that we're going to be handling. This is uh, entitled How Leaders Can Better Support Muslim Women at Work, something that was picked up from one of the Uh, websites uh, it's uh, hbr.org I understand uh, the website from which we got this uh, particular uh, item from and the gist of what this has to say is that although diversity equity and inclusion has become a priority for companies over the last several years faith affiliation is often left out of the wider conversation Muslims in particular face a plethora of challenges at work given their unique faith-related needs that make it difficult to adapt to the values and orientation of the uh, dominant work culture. Uh, for example, uh, many non-Muslim leaders don't understand or acknowledge that prayer is an integral part of a Muslim's everyday routine. Many Muslims find it difficult to take prayer breaks, considering that a few of those breaks may fall during work hours. Then secondly, con- considering dietary needs uh, and uh, in respect of faith uh, is also an issue for networking and social events. Uh, choice of venues that serve non-alcoholic uh, options uh, should be considered, along with an assortment of foods that cater to all types of nutritional requirements, including vegetarian, vegan, halal, kosher, and gluten-free. So this essentially is uh, what this um, particular uh, uh, piece on uh, the web is highlighting about uh, the challenges that face uh, Muslims, uh, Muslim women in particular, when it comes to the dress code. Uh, if you also include that, uh, when it comes to trying to integrate with uh, the uh, dom into the dominant work culture, which is uh, somewhat different, um we'll have uh, an Islamic angle to this uh, shortly, and we also hope to s- be speaking to um, a couple of experts. um Beverly Sunderland is the first of these, I understand. Um, and uh, she's the uh, Managing Director of Crossland Employment Solicitors, uh, and this particular uh, firm of Solicitors is uh, a prestigious one, uh, as we'd led to believe, uh, because uh, it has excellent credentials. It's the top-ranked uh, in uh, the Chamber's Guide and uh, uh, has an elite status in the Legal 500, and uh, the lawyer that we hope to be speaking to uh, is um, uh, a commercial director of a PLC before, or was a commercial director of a PLC before returning to Focus on uh, employment law, subsequently setting up her own highly regarded firm, Crossland Employment Solicitors, so is the is the founding member of that firm that we'll be talking to. So, as always, we are trying to get all the best uh, involved in these discussions, and uh, we would certainly be able to achieve that if uh, we can uh, get her on the line. So, um, uh, I, th- I suppose, uh, while we're waiting, I think uh, uh, Imam Tukir. I mean, what, what's uh, despite what maybe uh, being said by this uh, this particular piece, uh, there is a lot of understanding. I I would say uh, among the wider public in many quarters uh, about making it easy for uh, Muslims to practice their faith. I mean, one of uh, the um, Uh, reflection of this that uh, is very striking is the attendance that we have uh, in the middle of the afternoon on Friday. Uh, The number of people that are able to come to the mosque uh, during a working day in the middle of the day is an indication that there is understanding among the wider public about the need for Muslims to uh, attend to their religious duties in this way don't you think
2: no absolutely um, because as, as a Muslim you know we, we are taught that uh, we should offer our five daily prayers um, as for a Muslim man they should be in congregation um, and uh, also the the second injunction is that you should try to offer the five daily prayers uh, on time and quite often a lot of the muslims who are working in different uh, different firms or different professions uh, this can be a, a challenging task as uh, you know sometimes you you might be at work and you cannot offer your prayer at that particular time um and quite often um you know you will only have a one hour break and uh, within that one hour break you need to have your food as well um, and you know, just maybe relax a little. Um, so I remember myself that when I, when I used to work before, um, going to, uh, before joining, uh, the UK, uh, before I was working part time, um, I, I would offer my prayers during the, uh, lunchtime hours, uh-huh. uh, in that one hour slot um but i suppose that for for uh, for everyone this this would vary differently as uh, some individuals uh, would find it even difficult to to find time uh, to offer their, their their five daily prayers i mean it's a blessing to work within the community to be employed within the community as uh, this is looked after and mm. you know we are able to offer our prayers on mm. time and and in congregation i know that certainly in in our uh, in our workplace where where i work at at day park at tire house uh, during the prayer times uh prayer is offered in mm. congregation and not only that the the call for prayer is also called for before the prayer and then uh the whole arrangement is made for the prayer so uh, this is something which um other other businesses should also cater for as well and look after some of the needs and rights for Muslims, not only for Muslim men but also for Muslim women.
1: Hmm. Right, um, yes, uh, very well said. Um, but um, uh, we do have um, a lot of um, accommodation that is currently being afforded uh, uh, for uh, religious practice uh, for Muslims. Um, it's certainly, in, in certain quarters, uh, we know that um, in certain uh, schools there is a room dedicated for uh, for prayer for Muslim children to use should they need to. Um, and this is both in um, primary schools and secondary schools, um, and then uh, other institutions. I was uh, pleased to know that um, I know that at Heathrow, for instance, there's a there's a Prayer facility where people can go and pray, not just Muslims, but anyone can go and uh, use that particular prayer room uh, to pray. Uh, and there's facility there also to do uh, to do your ablutions. Um, when attending the London Book Fair, where uh, which happens annually uh, at uh, Olympia, uh, provision is also made there for. Uh, those who wish to to pray during the course of the day Uh, and uh, so there is that understanding that is um, afforded so it's it's good to see this kind of uh, this kind of change that is happening but uh, clearly as this uh, particular item that we're discussing uh, shows that we've uh, picked up on the website uh, uh, more is needed and uh, perhaps uh, that is something that uh, can be engendered uh, later on. Um, now we I was promising uh, I hope uh, Beverly Sunderland uh, to be, uh, we'll be that we' we'll be speaking to her. So um, I'm pleased to note that uh, uh, she is on the line. Thank you very much for joining us on the uh, on the breakfast show beverly.
4: Absolutely my pleasure. thank you for inviting me.
1: Uh, thank you. And in case you think I haven't uh, introduced you, I did go through your introduction earlier, so forgive me if I don't repeat that. Um, that works. Right. Uh, in the UK law, uh, there, there are controls over discriminations at work. Uh, what does the law say about religion? Well,
4: we have a piece of legislation called the Equality Act. Mm. And, and what the Equality Act says is that you must not discriminate against somebody on on the grounds of their religion, um, either because they follow a particular religion or, indeed, they don't follow any religion at all. And you mustn't directly discriminate against them. So that's where you say, I'm not going to employ you because you are a Muslim, because you are a Christian. Um, and they mustn't indirectly discriminate against them. So that's doing things like saying oh, you must have a particular dress code or you're not allowed to leave your desk at a particular time, which, of course, has an impact on people who follow a particular re- religion because they need time away for prayer or they may prefer to uh, prefer to wear um, a, a hijab or, or um, you know, if they're a Hindu, um, any other kind of um, uh, religious um, head covering.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, what about uh, when... Uh uh, eating is involved when, say, uh, a party or uh, some kind of food is uh, being uh, given away at uh, a function organized by the, by, the, by the company or by the employer, uh, what kind of attention to detail is, is expected there in order to avoid indirectly discrimin- discriminating against somebody of a particular faith?
4: Yeah, and and that's a really good question. Um, And one of the problems that we find in business is that actually a lot of employers make stereotypical assumptions and they don't talk enough to their employees about their religion and about the requirements of their religion. And it's really important that they do that because, as we all know, know, particularly in times um, when Muslims are fasting or indeed in relation to particular um, foods that they, they mustn't eat, Um, or indeed the drinking of alcohol, employers need to speak and understand their employees to understand um, the parameters, because if they don't, then they could find themselves on the wrong end of a claim for indirect discrimination, saying that those of the Muslim faith are feeling ostracised and not included and not able to participate in things like uh, after work, drinks down the pub... Um so so, it is really important to understand and to communicate regularly with employees.
1: Mm. Um, I suppose it's very important to have a happy work for, uh, workforce um, to have those kind of conversations. But what about the legal obligations? What are the legal obligations, the uh, rights for employers and employees employees in this particular area?
4: Well, the legal obligations are that you must not either directly discriminate against an employee. Or indirectly, or uh-huh. indeed, or indeed, harass them on the grounds of their religion, right. and 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 you can see a situation where a Muslim employee, faced with um, a drinks party where they're only serving alcohol, they're um, they're serving um, pork-based food, and that's the only thing they can say. I felt completely harassed. I felt embarrassed. I felt um, ostracised. Um, um and and an employer could face a claim of harassment on the grounds of religion if it does that without having made proper inquiry
1: okay um i've got my colleague with me um uh, he'll be asking a couple of questions is that okay yes of course
2: okay all right Uh, thank you for joining us uh, this morning uh, beverly um i i wanted to ask you in your experience um, do many difficulties arise because of religious practice or faith-based uh, attitudes? I,
4: I have to say we act primarily for employers and generally the kinds of issues that will come up will be um, where employers are trying to better understand a particular faith and they're trying to find perhaps a quiet place for a Muslim employee to go and, and, and pray um, and also the, the difficult situation where perhaps you have a a workforce where a lot of the the workforce um, follow the Muslim faith and because of that everybody wants to have uh, for instance Eid off and the employer is then stuck because they can't have everybody off at the same time and they have to sort of try and balance that And, and and that's the kind of issue that that generally we find comes up in in practice.
2: Thank you and and we have listeners who are employers and employees how would you advise them to reduce conflict difficulties to a minimum
4: my my biggest piece of advice is always direct communication consultation talking to your workforce and not making what we call a stereotypical assumption and yeah you know, and, and that kind of assumption is for instance um, a, a, a lady wearing a, a hijab is, um, uh, is 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 very um, quiet and insular and doesn't want to talk to to anybody. Um, and it's important to get that dialogue going and perhaps to get people in to to talk about different religions um, and and to really make it much more open in terms of the discussions. And that's what I would always always recommend to both employers and employees. It's an education process.
2: Okay, great. Thank you so much, uh, Beverly Sunderland, for uh, joining us and uh, sharing your views on this particular topic. Thank you so much. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you.
1: Oh, Beverly, before you go, is oh, uh, is is this, is this uh, quite a contentious uh, uh, issue? Are you getting a lot of cases uh, on this?
4: Uh, the, I suppose the short answer to that is, is no okay. and, and, and but I think it's important to make this point for any of your, your listeners is that you would have seen a lot um, in the press over the years about for instance in France where they have banned the wearing of the hijab um, um, and it's really important to understand that in the UK we're really quite a different kind of country because we're not a secular country which is what France is where the state and religion are completely separated, and so it's easier for them to say we don't want anybody to have any outward display of faith. Whereas mm. in the UK, we're much more inclusive, much more understanding, um, and 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 here the only time that you're going to have that kind of argument coming up is going to be, for instance, there was a case a few years ago involving a primary school teacher. And because the evidence showed that that actually very young children need to be able to see the facial expressions of their teachers, it was held to be reasonable in those circumstances um, to ask that a teacher had her face showing. But Mm -hmm. that's a very unusual kind of situation, and, you know, we should all be very grateful for that, I think.
1: Yes, certainly. Thanks very much. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for your contribution. My pleasure. Thank you. Right. uh, we have to move on. Uh, we have Ashmina Wakari on the line, I um, understand. Uh, Ashmina is an associate solicitor at Thrive Law, a leeds based law firm specializing in employment law and enabling people to thrive in their workplaces. Uh, Ashmina, can you hear me? Welcome to the Breakfast Show on the Voice of Islam. I can see you're on hold as far as my screen lights are concerned, but uh, I can't see the magic light turning on to indicate that uh, you are hearing
2: us. Is she? I I think we're we're having difficulties getting her on. But before we do um, listen to her, we do have a guest speaker, um, Salim Rahim, and he wanted to share his views on this particular topic as well. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you uh, Salim Rahim thank you for joining us this morning
5: okay. oh, Yes uh, Interesting topic I've, I've, uh, I just wanted to mention about this and I know you were discussing about hijab I believe or the women's head uh, gear or traditional clothes Yes. I just wanted to put my sort of um, opinion on, on even the male side of things, of so what it is I work in the civil service department right in the mainstream government in the Westminster. So um, I used to be hesitant, you know, when I was a child to wear, and I used to say, you know, I'm going uh, to wear to wear kameez. The boys would laugh at me. And what I'm talking about kameez, kameez is a long traditional shirt which uh, we wear in uh, mainly sort of uh, uh, the Middle Eastern or Asian type countries. So, you know, recently I've, I've been confident within myself. I go out, I wear that kameez. In fact, I wear the head head gear as well, yes yeah. So when I talk about head gear, I'm talking about a traditional cap which we wear as a Muslim, and that could be uh, sometimes it's either in, in Pakistan, you wear the Jinnah cap or you can wear an Afghani type of cap or you can even wear an imama which is a single sheet of cloth, the male member that I'm talking about. Mm. So when I do travel to my office in the morning and I as I say, by traveling by public transport i don't shy away from that i wear my traditional dress mm. and i feel that people around me are actually inquisitive they're actually not uh, you know i feel the opposite than what is put in the media constantly about this about that a negative experience in fact i found it a very positive experience and even when i wear that in the office that's been a very good and um, just a final point there was a new uh chap who's joined as well. And when I do see, um, uh, you know, the Sikh face, they're wearing their turban, it makes me feel good because they're good about their face, they feel confident. When I see a Jewish uh, uh, chap and I've worked with a guy who wears a skullcap, I in fact asked him, you know, can you give me a bit of background about this? And it was a talking point, you know, and then he asked me about my kameez and he said, can he? so I feel that wearing a traditional dress is actually a positive benefit you know be a headscarf head, head scarf or uh, or uh, you know the clothes and uh, you know that's really what I wanted to uh, just put
2: across the no fantastic i mean I, uh, to be honest you're the first person i've uh, heard in a very long time who's actually uh, said that they've they have had a positive feedback from the public um, for wearing your traditional clothing, so topi as you mentioned, or the shalwar kameez, um, but that's that's very interesting. Um, but have you yourself from this experienced uh, faced any um, criticism or any negative comments from from the public?
5: Not at all. Not, uh, in fact, I believe <laughs> if you know, it's been the opposite. I feel more confident, to be honest with you. I mean, I was born in this country. I've mm. been here 50 years. I'm 50 now. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I find it that I should not shy away from my... I and mean, I talked about my own family. I should not shy away from my background. You know, I, I'm proud to be Muslim. Mm. When I go out there, I should be displaying my my culture, my identity. and And it's not that I'm going to be in my own shell and I'm just going to be quiet. I'm not going to speak to anyone. I have to speak about it. So it's, it's various things. It's not only just my dress. It's then putting an article, you know, in the internet on my to let my wider audience you know in my organisation of, uh, you know, a few hundred staff that yeah. we have uh, conventions, you know, and this is what is and, and telling them about my face. So, so they're actually confident that I'm not just, you know, like an individual in his own world. This is what it is. The communication is a two-way thing.
2: No, I, I think that's, that's fantastic, uh, what you're doing, because it gives uh it gives space or it gives opportunities to more dialogues if anyone any of the public you know who does have any uh thoughts on islamophobia as well they don't know what that you know the true message of Islam is because you're portraying. Uh, you know your your culture wearing the shilwar kameez and the topi in such a beautiful way i think your people are very comfortable in approaching you as well and I, I, i'm guessing that many have actually opened up to you as well and the, you must have uh, dialogues where people ask about islam as well right
5: exactly so that's you know that's a point so even i've got a meeting coming up just in two weeks time there's a my media team of seventy of us, and they asked us yesterday if there's any anybody wants to talk about. So I put a few on there, and I thought once I go to the convention, I'll put a little article on volunteering as we volunteer in the convention in our own ways, and that will be another point, you know, to just uh, put my little snippet out there. So yeah, it's definitely all good.
2: No, fantastic it's, it's really good to hear from you, uh, Salim, because I, I've actually been uh, doing the same thing. Um, on the weekends um, with uh, other brothers uh, what I do is we usually go out and uh, we give out leaflets on the true message of Islam and you know what what, what the peaceful teachings of Islam is and and I've noticed that uh, when I'm wearing the traditional cap that Muslims wear the the, i.e. the topi uh, people have been very comfortable in actually approaching Um, I I haven't in any way felt that you know people have been uh, very rude In, in fact uh, I I feel as if it's I I feel a lot more comfortable. Um, but uh, brother brother, Valid, is there any questions you wanted to ask our, our guest brother brother Salim?
1: No, I, I I'm always uh, pleased to hear from brother Salim. Is uh, one of our uh, regular listeners and contributes um, to our program in a meaningful way. So very pleased to hear from him again. Um, is this something that you do regularly, uh, uh, Salim? I,
5: yes, yes. I mean, I must admit, as I say, you know, when I was maybe younger, I used to feel a little bit hesitant. But as I've gone over the time, yes, it's quite regular. I, I go to the office, I wear my traditional clothes if I can, when I can. And in this weather, in fact, it's much more apt as well because our clothes are quite good for this weather. I'm wearing those thin uh, caps as well they actually protect you as well in a way so there's a number of benefits
1: hmm. do you think that I mean you said that you've been in this country for 50 years do you do you find that attitudes have changed over those 50 years for the better that the wider public is more accommodating of different cultures I, not like I they were so. say in the 70s or 80s yeah uh, that things have changed um, Uh, there isn't that uh, nationalistic feeling that uh, we should be wearing certain type of clothes and only tolerating that. Do you find that?
5: I I certainly do, yeah. Mm. I do find that.
1: And that uh, comes along with food as well, doesn't it? I mean, people are more um, uh, inclined to, to try different foods whereas they weren't so inclined during the 60s and 70s from what I remember but I am maybe yeah. slightly older than you. Uh, maybe,
5: <laughs> but yeah, I, ca- I can agree with you're joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And that's a and good yeah, thing, isn't it?
5: Definitely, I think so, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, right. So, uh, thanks, for, right. Thanks, thanks very yeah. much for coming on. Well, Thank you very much for your contribution. Wish you all the best in the future. Which line of work are you involved in at the moment?
5: I work in um, the civil Service department. I know it's actually within the cabinet office of the Treasury Building there in Parliament. Oh, so it's okay, in yeah, it's in the, you, Did you
1: work for um, Rishi Sunak bef- uh, before you resigned?
5: <laughs> I, I didn't quite work for him directly, but I'm in the same building as ah. you, and so now he's in beam, uh, the
1: new. The so. yeah, new yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, well, you uh, we must have your hands full. Anyway. Uh, t- <laughs> thanks very much Sorry. for coming on. Uh, thanks very much for your contribution. We wish you all the best in the future. Right, Imam um, Saqid thank you very much. Do we have? Do you think we can go on to the Islamic angle now?
2: Yes, of course. Um, as as our brother Salim was mentioning uh, regarding the head covering, I thought it'd be important to mention what the Holy Quran says with regards to the covering um, of the of women and one particular verse um which is mentioned in the Holy Quran or the, the word particular word which has been used in the Quran uh regarding the covering is the word khimar. and uh, this from chapter twenty four verse thirty two and the verse is uh God Almighty says in the Holy Quran um that and they draw their head coverings over their bosoms. Now the word which has been used here is Bihumurihenna and uh, it uh, the literal the word khumur is actually a plural and the single word is khimar and lane's lexicon it gives the definition of the word khimar it says that it's a woman's muffler or which she covers her head and lower part of her face leaving exposed only the eyes and some part of the nose so we see that this is the particular injunction which is mentioned in the Holy Quran uh, regarding the covering of the will. But it's interesting to note that it's not only Islam which uh, which mentions the injunction of covering. We see that in other religions as well, the head covering is also mentioned. And I and I will go on to mention this later on. But uh, I do believe right now we have a guest, um, so I'll I'll hand the mic over to you, Brother Billy.
1: Right, um, uh, is it Ash, uh, Ashmina Vakaria? Good morning. How are you? Oh, uh, very well, thank you. Thank you very much for coming on. We had some trouble in uh, getting uh, getting you through, so I'm so pleased that uh, we managed to do that. Um, uh, we, we're discussing uh, uh, elements of discrimination at work. We know that it is not allowed to discriminate against workers because of their faith. How easy it is to recognise when discrimination takes place in recruitment.
6: So it actually depends because, um, obviously, under the Equality Act, there's different types of discrimination that so could be direct, indirect, harassment, or victimisation. But I think during um, the interview process, if you're depending on what questions you're being asked, you should, you know, consider what the purpose of those questions are and what the interview's intention is behind them if obviously the questions are being focused on religion only and it appears out of context then yeah it may be easier to recognize discrimination in that instance but obviously if it's indirect then it might be a bit more difficult but i think if you have what if you have at the back of your mind what is the intention of the question you might be able to identify the purpose of it
1: mhm and uh, how would an employee recognize discrimination in the workplace do you have any examples of what would be considered discrimination?
6: So it's not always apparent you know there could be like I say like indirect way so if you're requiring someone to um, wear a dress code but then that excludes people who wear like certain parts of clothing so like Muslims who wear hijabs or Sikhs who wear turbans it might not be easier to recognize so it's almost and discrimination can also be disguised as banter or joking around so you, you can it, that's also considered discrimination in some terms if it's to do with their religion.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, what is the right course of action to take if a person feels they have been a victim of religious discrimination?
6: So I think the first action would be to raise it informally with your line manager first um, and then see if they can look into the situation. Um, they might be able to resolve it without you you know, raising a formal grievance. Um, However, if it's not obviously resolved, then you can raise a formal grievance using your company's um, grievance procedure. Um, If after that you're still not satisfied, obviously you can appeal the grievance or you can take the matter to the employment tribunal. Mm.
1: And how, I mean, um, what about um, um, subconscious discrimination? How do you eradicate that?
6: So it's almost like, I think that comes under sort of this indirect where you don't realise the purpose of it it, and it may seem on the face of it that it's um, discriminatory, but then once you look into it, there might be, the employer might be able to justify why they're doing a certain, why they've got a certain policy in place. Mm -hmm. For example, if, you know, your employer was um, um, a Muslim company and you wanted um someone of muslim faith to understand and advise other people it would make sense for someone of a muslim background to be hired rather than someone who was of a different faith hmm.
1: Hmm. okay um well my colleague um, has has some questions as well for you if yes, you don't mind. Sure.
2: Uh good morning thank you for joining us ashmina i uh, i wanted to ask you um what do employers and managers have to do to prevent discrimination at work
6: so employers, they should up make sure they have a lot up-to-date equality policy um, and they should um, regularly try and train staff to, um, in relation to anti-discrimination. So they should also be able to um, understand if someone come if an employee came up to them regarding a complaint of discrimination, how to deal with it. So it might also be something that they should be familiar with in terms of their grievance and complaints policy and how to deal with them promptly. Um, it might also be a good idea to have like one-to-one catch-ups with your employees um, to see, you know, how they're finding work and to build a positive relationship, so that employees feel supported and they can talk to their line managers if they need to.
2: And how common do you think uh, religious discrimination is found at workplaces?
6: Um, I think it's actually really common um, in terms of, because obviously I work at a law firm so I see this on a day-to-day basis. Um, it's it's quite shocking to see how many people are um, discriminated on the ground of religion, belief. Um, and even though we're seen as being a, um, sorry, seeing as being a very mm. multicultural um, country, it's still very common and still very prominent in the UK. So it may be that employees are just not doing enough to prevent discrimination in the workplace or in the recruitment
2: process. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that. And and lastly, um, what can employees of strong faith do to make discrimination less likely?
6: Sorry, did you say employees or employees?
2: Uh, I'll repeat the question again. What, what do you think, what can employees of strong faith do to make discrimination less likely?
6: so for employees who have a strong faith it you know they it might require practicing their religion throughout the working day so maybe employees can request for their employer to provide like reasonable accommodation so you know they could say oh can i have time off for um a religious festival for example or it, for um muslims is there a prayer room that i can you know go to to pray throughout the day it's almost um making those reasonable adjustments for those with them. Um,
2: belief. Great thank you so much Ashmina. you're an associate solicitor at Thrive Law a leads-based law firm specializing in employment law and enabling people to thrive in their workplace thank you so much for thank joining you. us this morning and sharing your expertise on this subject matter thank you.
6: Thank
1: you. Right um, I think generally um, I mean our societies are getting more aware of the needs of um, Religious needs of, of people um, I know you're interested in sport, but um, I was listening you know uh, <laughs> a while ago to Moin Ali the cricketer okay okay. and he was saying that uh, you know he's never had any problem in uh, in attending to his uh, religious duties and mm, praying, mm. and that when he when the need arose, he would uh, ask the umpire or his colleagues if you'd go and and he'd never had any difficulty there. And we know in premiership matches, Mm. I don't know, most most, uh, people who come, who study in the Jamia are Man United supporters. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know whether you're one, but I know um, uh, Pogba used to, uh, I mean, there used to be a small break or there was breaks, uh, short breaks in, um, in matches that were taking place during the month of Ramadan when the opening of the fast took place and uh, opportunities were given to muslim players to open the pass, and that also shows understanding and tolerance and then when uh, there is that celebration with the uh, champagne then uh, again sensitivity is shown yes. and uh, it is not champagne that is then spread about so it, it means that or it indicates that um, there is a growing understanding and tolerance, and that is something that we should be we should be celebrating. We should be pleased about in in communities. Uh, you're quite young, but when I was growing up, there was nothing like that mm. at all. Mm. There was a very strong resistance against any change or any accommodation of other faiths. This was a Christian country, and that's uh, the way that you should um, you should behave. And if there is anything different that uh, you're bringing in, then that's you and your problem. Uh, nothing to do with us, but that's certainly changed now.
2: Yeah, and I I suppose that if if there are, you know, places where discrimination is found, uh, I think the best solution for it is educating the general public uh, with regards to this, um, you know, that we should be respectful and we should be mindful of, uh, of, you know, if people of different religious faiths, they have a duty, you know, to offer their five daily prayers or uh, open their fast then uh, you know the general public or even a Muslim or people of different faith. we should be uh, very respectful uh, to each other as mm. uh, you know we, we should focus towards building bridges than, mm. uh, than to destroy them Um but uh, thank you for that, brother, brother Yeah,
1: I think Paul Pogba, Pogba is gone now. He's not. He's not a main United player. <laughs> <either>. <laughs> so, in case we get any any um, uh, what is it complaints coming in? Yes, uh, it was last season I was talking about. <laughs> but but Liverpool did the same. Uh, more for more seller. Yeah, Morsella. Uh, he's still a Liverpool yeah, player. Yeah,
2: he's still mm, there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway,
2: but it's it just goes to show you that even even uh, someone who is uh who has a high position within within the society, for example, let's say a footballer, mm. it's very important that they should also set an example. Yes. Um such yes. as people as we are talking about footballers like Mo or or Pogba, you know, it's it's very good that through as they are Muslims, they are mm. not only Muslim but they are practicing Muslims yes. and by setting their example encourages Others as well who are maybe vulnerable in society that you know just to realize hey I I shouldn't shy shy out of peer pressure but rather I should be I, I should be I, I should have the confidence to express my faith openly and I think especially in in the in the world that we live in uh, it's quite easy uh, when we are growing up to have a peer pressure from from the society and uh, I think we're all once in a time in our life we are victim to to this norm mm. that uh, you know we, we if I need to open my fast or if I need to pray then you know you'll hide and, and you know you'll you'll offer those duties um, while, while you're not mm. openly mm. doing mm. it but mm. we, we shouldn't shy away as His Holiness quite often mentions in His question and answers as well that we shouldn't have any sort of uh, complex. We shouldn't go into any mm. sort of complexity that you know. We we should shy away from our religious duties, but uh, we should be very very much. Uh, we should encourage it, and we should openly practice our religious religious freedom. Um, I I was earlier mentioning um, regarding the head covering, and I, I mentioned a verse of the Holy Quran where women, uh, they have been instructed to wear a head covering. And this is, I mentioned, this is from chapter 24, verse 32, where God Almighty mentions in the Holy Quran, and they draw their head coverings over their bosoms. So this is mentioned in the Holy Quran, but not only head coverings are mentioned in the Holy Quran, it's mentioned in other religions as well. For example, if we look at... If we look at Christianity, for example, uh, it also encourages that uh, women should uh, dress modestly. And in fact, if we look at Mary, peace be upon her, the mother of Jesus, uh, she has always been depicted as wearing a veil in pictures and uh, dressing modestly. And in fact, if we read the New Testament, if we read uh, Corinthians, the first chapter, 11 verse 5 to 6 it is written that but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head it is the same as shaving uh, her it is it is the same as having a head shaved for if a woman does not cover her head she might as well have her hair cut off but if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or head shaved, then she should cover her head. So here we we even see that uh, it is a it goes into the extreme, and it says that um, you know they should cover their heads, and if they uh, do not do this, it is disembonzo. If they it is dishonorable, and if they do not, then they should shave their heads instead. I mean, this is extreme, and Islam does not say that. Rather, Islam it says at, at, at the, in the quran as well in chapter 2 verse 256 that there is no compulsion in religion um, you know a, a someone who um, you know the the injunction has been laid out that this is the injunction but uh, at the end of the day islam itself says that you are free to uh, you are free to uh, choose whichever path you may like um so uh, another aspect that we were explaining uh, for this particular Islamic perspective is that uh, we were discussing prayer and uh, Islam teaches various forms of prayers and there are formal, informal, obligatory and voluntary prayers and some are offered in congregation, others in private. Some are silent, others are loud and though all have their place and importance, it is the formal obligatory daily prayer known as Salat that forms the bulk of the prayers for the average Muslim and as I mentioned earlier that uh, this is something which all Muslims uh, are which is the injunction of the Holy Quran that they should offer Um, and uh, you know even at such workplaces they should be they should be allowed, or to to offer their religious duties. Um, so, I'll, with that, I'll close close this Islamic perspective, and I'll hand over the mic to Brother Willie to close this show.
1: Thank you very much for that, Mike. Right. That leaves us uh, to thank now that we're reaching or approaching the conclusion of this uh, broadcast. To thank those who have participated in its pre, uh, in, in its preparation. In particular, producer uh, Malia Abdullah is uh, uh, deserving of thanks, uh thanks, as uh, is her researchers, uh, or should I say, as are her researchers. Kudsi Award, Sayada Hannah South, uh Saria Bakhtiar and Neha. Uh, thanks also to uh, Adnan Ahmed, Akib, is it Akib Ahmed uh, Adnan. Apologies if I haven't got that the right way around. Uh, um, he was the engineer making sure that everything ran smoothly as far as the technical side of the broadcast is concerned. And we should also uh, not rem- uh, not forget uh, those who contributed in helping us understand uh, these subjects that we were discussing better. Beverly Sunderland joined us, as did ashmina uh, Wakaria, and we spoke to Daniel Machlochlin a while ago. Uh, on uh, the topic of uh, freedom of uh, religion. Um, so thank you to them, and thank you to all listeners for joining in. Uh, do join us again um, Monday to Friday is the slot for The Breakfast Show. So until Monday, As-salamu alaykum from us here on The Breakfast Show, and in particular myself and uh,
3: uh, uh, Imam Toki Tanvir. So here is the 9 o'clock news in a few seconds.